Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Rob Dalrymple. I'm the pastor here at Northminster, and it's wonderful to see you all this morning. Today, our topic is our calling our work, our vocation. So many of us have come to this understanding that the pastors and the ministers, they're the ones who are called. We even use that language. I'm called to ministry, and we're going to call a pastor to our congregation. And then we think the congregation, well, that's, they, they just work out in the world. And this morning we're going to talk about the fact that we're all called. No matter what we do, where we are, we're all called to worship and serve the Lord our God to proclaim the kingdom of God in our various occupations. Before I actually get going this, later on this morning, I'm going I'm to give you two sermons. One right now, I want to preach, I want to talk to the youth. And, and, and some of our youth are going to go off in a junior church, and I don't want them to miss out what we have to say. Because I think one of the things that happens is when you're young, you're wondering, what's my calling? You know, you might be 22 years old and, and, and finishing college and go, I don't know what my job, what my calling is. And there's that great anxiety about what your profession is going to be and, and what it is. And so let me give you a couple things to think about. Number one, follow your passion. You want to know what your calling is? Find out what you're passionate about. What is it that, that, that stirs you up, that, that gives you energy and drives you every day? Follow the, find out what that passion is and then follow it. Do it. God's given you that passion for a reason, and I would encourage you to master that. Secondly, master your training. Get trained. Get equipped to do whatever it is you're passionate about so that you can do it well. Abraham Lincoln said, whatever you are, be a good one. Whatever you are, be good at it. And the best way to do that is to master your training. Thirdly, master your education. One of the things that we have in our culture, in most cultures of the world, 18-year-old uh, young men are to be working and providing in their, for their home. And for their, I mean, they are, they're done. No more education. They're going to be working and they're going to be providing for their family. 13-year-old women are to be home having kids and managing a household. One of the blessings we have in our culture is that we value education. So that we're not raising you as 14 to 16 year old young people to be adults and, and fully functional in society. You have the opportunity for education. And so take advantage of that opportunity in this, cult, this culture affords you and master your education so that you can do things well. And then forethought, and that is don't take no for an answer. Don't take no, if you're called to do something, if you're passionate about doing something, then do it and bust down every door that's in your way. And if people say no, 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 don't stop asking. Don't take no for an answer. Just keep going and therefore fulfill uh, the calling that God has for you. This morning, our bulletin, if you have your bulletin, I want you to pull it out. Usually on the front cover, not usually, but almost every week on the front cover of our bulletin, we put a scripture verse that's relevant to the morning's topic. And this week the passage is Colossians 3, verse 28, and I want you to read it with me. Colossians 3, verse 28. Whatever you do, work at it with all your might as working for the Lord rather than men. This morning we're talking about calling, and um, if you were to go to a church or a Christian bookstore and see the title of a book uh, titled, The Person God Uses, you'd immediately think that it was about a missionary, a pastor, or some church leader. 
And I want to exhort you that that is not a biblical worldview. That it's not necessarily about a pastor, a church leader, or a missionary. The person God uses is all of us. Work is a basic essential of being human. It's fundamental to being human. Yet most people have nothing that they're looking forward to. Work for them is it's just another day. Uh, it, it just is what it is. How many of you, how do you feel like, I'm just working to work? I'm, yeah, you liars. Uh, I'm just, you didn't even raise your hand. Like one person raised their hand. That's the only person that's, that's telling the truth. Everyone else is like, yeah, whatever. All right. Not all of you are liars. You know who you are. No, that's not, okay. All right. Uh, you're just working to work. If you didn't have to work, you wouldn't work. How many of you, if you didn't have to work, you wouldn't work? That's a lot of you. There you go. Like, I'm not going to be called a liar this time. All right. John chapter 5, verse 17 says, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Most of us are familiar with the book of Genesis, where it says, after the six days of creation, on the seventh day, it says, God rested. And we have this conception that God is no longer working. After all, he's resting since the, seventh, since the beginning of the seventh day. But then the Gospel of John tells us that the Father is always at his work, even to this very day. And the answer is that God is always working, create, sustaining his creation, caring for his creation. He's intervening with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives. He's doing works of miracles. He's, he, he's sending his... God is at, very much at work. When it says in Genesis 2 that, that God is no longer at work or he's resting, he's resting from the work of creating. But he's not completely at rest. God is very much at work. So let me give you two keys to a biblical worldview. And if you think, oh great, short sermon, only two keys. Um, don't get too excited. Uh, uh, number one, the first key is that work matters to God. Work, and this is the first fill in the blank, work matters to God. Through work, we are loving God and we are loving creation. Through work, we are loving humanity by letting God's gifts come to the rest of creation and to the rest of humanity. You may have heard of the phrase Pandora's box, right? Oh, no, you just opened Pandora's box. Uh, Pandora, opening Pandora's box means that you, you did an act that you might have thought was really small, but instead you open it up and all kinds of far-reaching consequences have to take place. Well, Pandora's box actually comes from Greek mythology. In Greek mythology, Pandora was the first woman ever created. And then Zeus ordered, ordered her to be created, and he did so, and she was created using earth and water and all these good things, and then the gods began to endow Pandora with all these goods. Athena gave her clothing, Aphrodite gave her beauty, and Apollo gave her musical ability, and Hermes gave her speech. The story goes on, however, that Prometheus stole fire from heaven, and when, when he did so, Zeus took vengeance on Prometheus by presenting Pandora to, to Prometheus' brother as a bride. As a wedding gift, Zeus gave Pandora a box and warned her to never open it. Well, Pandora, being human, of course, decided to open the box. And when she did, greed, envy, hatred, pain, disease, hunger, poverty, war, and death all flew out of the box. All of life's miseries were let out of the box. Pandora then tried to slam the box closed as quickly as possible, and when she did so, the only thing that was left inside the box was hope. Hope. 
Everything else was let outside. Ever since humans have held on to this hope in order to survive the wickedness that Pandora had let out, and now Pandora's box means to let out, that it's best to leave something untouched for fear of what might come out of the box. Well, in Greek mythology, one of the things that came out of the box was work. In Greek mythology, work is evil. It's one of the evils that our world is, is stuck with. If we didn't have to work, we wouldn't work. Uh, there's another ancient creation myth, a Babylonian creation myth, called Enuma Elish. In the Enuma Elish, this creation account, this Babylonian creation account, it says that the gods made humans to do the work for them. Work is evil. Work is something that the gods don't want to do, so they made us to do all the work. In ancient world, and in many philosophies of the world, work is an evil. But in the biblical worldview, work is good. God creates Adam and Eve and then puts them in the garden to work the garden. Genesis 2, verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. I've asked the question before, do, you know, do we work in heaven? And the answer is yes. Absolutely. We were created to work. Work is who we are. It's part of the good life. It's, it gives us value and meaning and purpose. I would say it's actually part of the perfect life. It's work. Second point I want to make about biblical view of work is that God matters to work. Work matters to God, and God matters to work. Work is one of the way that, ways that God actually provides for us. Uh, imagine a trip a father and a son take to go up into the mountain cabins for, for uh, five or six days or so, and the father gets up to the cabins, and it's cold and snowing, and, and he tells his son, hey, we better go collect some firewood and get a fire going. And in fact, son, I'm going to give you the job of getting that fire going, and I'm going to give you the job of maintaining the fire the whole week we're here. Now, a good father is not going to let the fire go out. Not going to let them freeze to death. But that father is empowering his son, giving him a task, a, a responsibility, giving him meaning and, and purpose in this endeavor. You're going to keep us warm. The father knows all along if the son doesn't do his task, he's going to accomplish it for him. But the son has this value because he's been given this, this job. In the same way, God provides for all of us. You know, Rick read for us earlier... Psalm 147, uh, which says, The, the Lord uh, strengthens the bars of your gates, and He blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and, sa and safety, uh, and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. And you think, well, you know, when does God provide us with peace and safety and with the finest of wheat? And the answer is, when we go to work, God provides for His creation through us. God provides us peace and safety uh, when, when we vote well. God provides us peace and safety when we make good laws. God provides us peace and safety when we elect good officials. God provides us with food when the, the farmer farms. And when the milk uh, uh, person milks the cows. And when the truck drivers drive their trucks. And when the grocers work in the grocery store. God cares for us through our work. And through ordinary workers. And all of a sudden now we realize that the baker and the farmer and the grocer is actually God in disguise. You see, we think, oh, the, those in ministry, they're doing noble work for God. No, the baker's doing noble work for God because he's feeding people. And so is the chef, and so is the hostess, and so is the waitress, and so is the truck driver, and so is the one who's making the roads, and so is the one who's cleaning up the trash on the side of the roads. We're all actually doing God's work 
for God and were God in disguise. You know, think about it. God could bring babies up from the dust. He did it in Genesis 2. But instead, God uses moms and dads. God's empowering us, giving us value and meaning and purpose. He's including us in the work. So let me give a couple more thoughts now. Number one, first thought is, all work is God caring for his creation. All work is God caring for his creation, whether you're a landscaper or a carpenter. Whether you're an attorney, oh, let me think about that one, actually. <laughs> all right, no, no, see, we can't even pick on attorneys today. All right, uh, whether you're a cleaner or a CPA, all work is God caring for his creation. Secondly, all work is from God. All work is from God. And thirdly, all work is honoring. All work is honoring to God. That means religious and secular jobs both have equal dignity before God. So now we need to be careful because one of the things that we have in our society, right, is snobbery. We look down upon people because of their jobs. We look down upon people because of their education. What kind of work do you do? I was in a train, uh, a subway in, in, in London, and uh, making small conversation, uh, somebody I was with made small conversation with somebody by asking the question, what do you do for a living? And the person, in, the British person who was sitting there on the train was offended. That's the problem with you Americans. And I'm thinking, I, I think he's just trying to make conversation. What's the problem with you Americans? You're always trying to, to pigeonhole us by what we do for a job. Right? As soon as I say I'm a cleaner, you're going to think less of me. If I say I'm an attorney, you're going to think more of me. If I'm a professor, you're going to think more of me. And you see, we get rid of class snobbery in the church because we realize all work is God's work. All work is honoring to God and kingdom work. Here's a clip from the, the movie The Chariots of Fire where this idea of, of, of doing missionary work is, that's noble, that's what God wants you to do. And listen to his response. The, the sound is not too good, too, too good, so listen carefully. I've decided I'm going back to China. The missionary service have accepted me. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm so pleased. But I've got a lot of running to do first. Jenny. Jenny, you've got to understand. I believe that God made me for a purpose. For China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. Jenny. Jenny. God made me for a purpose. He made me for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's powerful. And to win is honoring to God. So what is the most honoring way, uh, what is the most God-honoring way to do your job? And the answer is to do it well. The most God-honoring way to do your job is to do it well. Now, in order to do your job well, or to do the things that you're passionate about well, you may have to give up some things. 
In order to do what you do well, what God's called you to do well, you may have to sacrifice other things. Think of the Olympic athlete and all the things that they have to surrender to do what they do well. Think of the person who's a, a Hollywood actor or actress. In order to do what they do well, they have to give up other things. I mean, they, you know, they might have started in school when they were children and gone off to a, 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 um, acting school. And they missed out on all those things that other kids experience. To do things well, we also might actually not be able to do everything. So let me address a, a couple of thoughts here on work and the kingdom of God. All work is God-honoring and kingdom-serving. All right, made this point already. All work is God-honoring and kingdom-serving. Religious work is not superior to secular work. You think of one of the most prominent people in the Old Testament story is a man named Joseph. Joseph is one of the most prominent of all the Israelites. Joseph was a civil servant. You think of the Apostle Paul. He was a leather worker. He was an evangelist and missionary. We think of him, but he didn't make a living doing that. He was a leather worker. We're all ambassadors for Christ, regardless of what we do. Second thing about work in the kingdom, and that is that there is a brokenness to work. The reason why we don't like going to work sometimes is because we're part of a fallen world. And, and, the, and, and the beauty of work that God created in the Garden of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, is not actually what we experience. Genesis 3, verse 17, after sin comes in, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. So here's the reality. The, the farmer is honoring God and is God in disguise, but guess what? His farming is not easy. It's been made more difficult by the fact that there's drought, or that there's rocks, or that there's thorns, or that there's theft, or that there's back pain and arthritis and headaches. So they may not like going to work because they got back pain and arthritis and headaches, even though their work is actually honoring to God because of the brokenness of our world. Thirdly, our work should not be separated from the work of the kingdom. This is essential. The scripture tells us that we are all kings and priests before God. Jesus taught us, and we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke again now, uh, beginning next week. Begin a, more, a study of the Gospel of Luke. And when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three Gospels, you're going to find that Jesus spent more time talking about the kingdom of God than anything else. And what's interesting is we often like, don't have a really good understanding of what the kingdom of God's all about. And the point of it is, you cannot separate your work, your vocation, whatever it may be, from the work of the kingdom. So let's make sure we have a, a little bit of an idea of what that means. The kingdom of God basically means the reign of Christ over all creation. God is the king over all. God is the Lord over all creation. The kingdom of God began with the coming of Christ. It was inaugurated, you want to say, at the cross or certainly with his resurrection. Through the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is becoming the King of kings and the Lord of lords over all creation. And when we advance the kingdom of God, we're advancing God's kingdom over the world. Now, here's what we have a misunderstanding, I think, sometimes in Christianity, and it does us harm. Sometimes we have this idea that, well, when Jesus comes back, he'll bring the kingdom of God in totality, and he'll destroy this creation. And when we have that kind of a mentality, then we think of that the work that we do in this creation doesn't matter. Because God's going to destroy it all. It doesn't matter if we plant trees, God's going to destroy them all. It doesn't matter if we build bridges, God's going to destroy this world. 
and then bring in his creation. And that is not a biblical worldview. God is in the process of restoring and redeeming this creation. And the best way to support that idea is look at the resurrection. The resurrection was Jesus' old body rising to be a new one. So also our resurrection will be like his resurrection, as Paul says, where our bodies presently will be resurrected. So when God brings his new creation, it's the restoring and redeeming of the present creation, not its annihilation. When you see annihilation language in scripture, it's the sin, the death, the corruption of creation that God's going to annihilate, not the goodness of creation. Here's a quote. Bearing God's image is not just a fact, it's a vocation, this author says. It means being called to reflect into the world the creative and redemptive love of God. It means being made for relationship, for stewardship, for worship. Or to put it more vividly, for sex, gardening, and God. Human beings know in their bones that they are made for each other, made to look after and to shape this world, made to worship the one in whose image they are made. But, like Israel with her vocation, we humans get it wrong. We worship other gods and start to reflect their likeness instead. We distort our vocation to stewardship into the will of power, uh, to power, to treating God's world as either a gold mine or an ashtray. And we distort our calling to beautiful, healing, creative, many-sided human relationships into exploitation and abuse. We live in a fallen world where money, power, and sex have become the norm instead of relationship, stewardship, and worship. So how do we do this? Well, how, how, how do we... Going back up here, excuse me. Uh, how, how do we take our work and not separate it from the work of the kingdom? And the answer is, we seek in our work and through our work the things that last, the things that matter. People matter. Therefore, in our work, people matter. Creation matters. Now, by the way, vacations are good things because vacations help to rejuvenate us and keep us energized and keep us focused and, and, and give us a renewed vision or a new passion. And then we go back to our work with more vision and more passion. Number four, there is not a Christian way to do everything. Atheists and Christians break bread the same, bake bread the same way. There's not a Christian way to bake bread. There's a Christian way to be a baker. Right? Because the way, as Christians, it should affect the way we do our work. It should affect our attitude, our, our motivation, the, the way we deal with others, the way we treat employees, the way we treat customers. All that has an effect, but the way we bake bread is the way an atheist bake bre bakes bread. There's no difference. So we do our work Christianly. We run our businesses differently, which means we might not make as much money, by the way. Because I'm going to treat my employees well. I'm not going to disrespect this or disrespect that. I'm not going to cheat this or I'm not going to cut corners. I'm not going to lie on my taxes. And all those things eventually might impact the financial uh, uh, fruit uh, of our labors. But we still run our businesses and we run them well. All right, number five, there is no retirement in the kingdom of God. Sorry. There's no retirement. There's rest, but not retirement. 
If we think of the good life as sitting on the beach and you know, uh, drinking Mai Tais, I don't even know what that is, but I heard it's a drink, so I'll just go with it. Is that, is that something? Uh, 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 there you go. Uh, if we think of that, that's the goal, is to attain the good life, sitting on a beach or maybe on a mountain cabin and just resting, then we're missing deeply the work that God has created us to do. The vocation, the calling. Uh, the word vocation, by the way, which we used to use for a job, now we use the word job. The, the word vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, which means to call. You're called. It's not a job. It's a vocation. All right. Sixth, and trust me, I only have 15 more items to go. Uh, just kidding. This is the last one. Um, what about pursuing my passions when they don't earn me a living? What about pursuing my passions when my passions don't earn me a living? You see, some of you might be passionate about art, but you can't make a living being an artist, right? And all the parents are like, yeah, son, listen, right? Um, uh, some of you might be passionate about, about music, but you can't make a living doing music. Then the answer is, then find a job. Find a job so that you can then fulfill your passion. The job's not a bad thing. The job is what allows you to do your passion. Paul was a tent maker. We think of Paul as a missionary. Being a missionary and evangelist was his passion, but he couldn't fund it, or he chose not to fund it. So he chose to get a job. And he did that job with love and with joy and with passion, knowing that it was the means through which he could fulfill his passion, music, art, evangelism, whatever it may be. Colossians 3.28 again says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your might as working for the Lord rather than men. We're going to close now with a time of prayer. And here's what we want to do. We want to commission all of us to be missionaries, to be evangelists, to be ambassadors, to be workers in God's kingdom regardless of what you do. It's not just the pastors and the paid staff that are doing the work of God's kingdom. It's all of us taking the work that you do and making sure you're doing it for the sake of the kingdom. So what, I want, what we want to do is have a time of prayer. And here's what I want you to do, and that is this. And we're just going to have one time of prayer as we close. And we're going to pray for all these jobs, occupations, callings, etc., no matter where you're at. All right? And if, it, it, I'm going to list some categories. And if you fit this category, just briefly stand up so everyone else can see who you are. So we know, hey, this is who they are, this is where they work, this is what they do. Right? If you're a youth, a student, or undecided, or maybe even unemployed, even though unemployed, you still might have a vocation, stand. All right. Take a look around. There's a good number of you here this morning. Wonderful. All right. Next. If you're in business and finance, management, office administration, computers and technology, accounting, investment bankers, real estate, advertising, government financial manager, property manager, bookkeeper, uh, computer entry, data entry, computer programmer, uh, anything like that, please stand. All right. Good number of you as well. All right, let's remember that. Number third. Construction, engineering, forestry, farming, fishing, architect, carpenter, construction manager, electrician, chemical, civil engineer, electrical engineer, forestry, fishermen, etc. Please stand. All right. Very well. Look around. Look around. If you're in the front, turn behind you so you know who's who. Very well. All right. Next. 
Installation and repair, production and manufacturing, professional, professional services, auto body repairs, carpet, floor, home appliances, uh, diesel service manager, assembly, uh, jewelers, uh, precious stone, metal workers, welders, barbers, cosmetologists, hairstyle, clergy, fashion designer, fundraiser, social worker, veterinarian. Please stand. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. Next, hospitality, tourism and travel, sales and marketing and transportation and moving. Chefs, cooks, food uh, workers, advertising sales, insurance agent, real estate uh, uh, and agent, which comes up in a couple categories here, air traffic controllers, bus drivers, taxi drivers, cab drivers, etc. All right. We got, we got a couple. There you go. Very well. Three. There you go. All right. Education, teaching, training, media, communications, broadcasting. Uh, curriculum, uh, writers, uh, news analysts, public relations, um, etc. Et Please stand. One, two, three, four, there you go. All right. Yeah, and if you're retired, by the way, you stand when your occupation comes up. There you go. Health and medical. Uh, health and medical, social and life sciences, psychology and counseling. Doctors, chiropractors, dietitians, registered nurses, archaeologists, forensic psychologists, clinical psychologists. Cognitive psychologist, child psychologist, any kind of psychologist, stand up. All right. Wonderful. Law enforcement, criminal justice, legal, criminologist, science, forensic scientist, corrections officers, paralegal, uh, military, politics. Please stand up. All right. Anybody else that didn't catch their category earlier, please stand up. Retired, unemployed, disabled, student, whatever else it may be. All right. Let us pray for one another. Father, we thank you for the gift of work. Many of us don't like our jobs. I'll say many of them don't like their jobs. They struggle with bosses, employers, employees. They struggle with difficult work situations. But at the same time, we thank you for what you've provided us with. And we ask, Lord, especially that you would help us to find our passions and to be fulfilled and satisfied in them. Even if that doesn't mean what we do for 40 hours a week. It's beyond that. But help us always, Lord, to, to never lose sight of the fact that you are bringing your kingdom through us, your people. When we teach and we train, when we heal as doctors and nurses, when we counsel as psychologists, when we provide uh, um, prison and, and correctional officers, and when we do whatever we do, we're doing it all for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that when we work for you, we bring glory to you and the benefit is humanity and creation. So we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be a witness. Those in education who work with children, those in, who, in, in medical world, who work with anybody who works with children, we pray, Lord, that you would especially anoint them to give compassion and equipping value and meaning and purpose to these young people, that they might see their value in you. Some of those who work with children, that, that might be the only time these children ever see a role model. The only time they ever see a a, a, a man who's actually married to the mother of their children or a woman who still has only one husband or is faithful in marriage and 
We just pray that these kids would be transformed by the, by, by the presence that we take into the world. Father, those who have labor or jobs, we pray for their bodies, that they would be strong and would be well, that they might continue to work well into their lives, providing for their retirement and whatever they may need when their body begins to break down completely. We pray, Father, for those who use their minds, that they would be strong and sound in mind and of good health, and that they would eat well and take care of their bodies, that they might be well. And We pray, Father, for the people that we work with, that they might know Jesus because we were a Christ to them, that we might be able to be a witness to them, we might be a servant to them, and that when they have troubles and trials in their lives, that they would come to us for comfort, for counsel, and for support, that, that we might be able to lead them to Christ. And we pray, Father, for um, employees and for those who are supervisors, that they might lead well, as Paul tells uh, slave owners to treat their slaves well, so also we would do well as, as bosses and, and leaders of companies to, to treat our employees well. That they wouldn't have a sour taste of what a leader looks like and they would turn to you. And We pray, Father, that you would be with customers, that you would bring them into these companies. These companies would flourish because they do things well. They do things right. They treat people well. They treat people fairly. That you would bless their businesses and the customers who come into those businesses. We pray, Father, for those who are unemployed right now. They have a calling and a vocation, but they can't find work, that you would bless them with the fruit of work, and that they would be honoring and glorifying and pleasing unto you. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us, regardless of who we are and what we do, to do all things for the glory of God, that we would come on Wednesday night to this dinner and study to learn how to read the Bible and read it, read it well so that we can take what we learn from scriptures and we can apply it to our life so that what we do as Christians just doesn't impact us on Sunday morning for an hour or an hour and a half but what we do as Christians impacts us every day of every week of every year and that the people around us will be transformed and the kingdom of God will come we thank you for all that you've given to us now, Lord. We ask your blessings to go before us, and that we would take those blessings to the world. We thank you for these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.